Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Scottish Liberty Podcast, the 10th edition of the Scottish Liberty Number Podcast. Numero 10. I'm Anthony Samroff, here with my co-host. Tom Laird. And what's the crack? What's, <laughs> what's... Well, the crack right now is we're sitting enjoying a lovely smoothie uh, made lovingly by the hand of Mr. Samaroff here. And it is quite delicious. What's in it, Anthony? Uh, goji berries, banana, apple, orange, coconut water, um, and some carrots. Wow. I mean, I don't even know what a goji berry is, but um, I mean, I can't, so it's not even necessary I can taste the oh, goji berries. Oh, it's got um, bee pollen in it. Because I'm not a vegan. Bee pollen? What the fuck have you got bee pollen in my drink for? It's meant to be good for you. Really? Okay. It might even Fisky. be an aphrodisiac. So oh, any, any... on the pill tonight, <laughs> you might have more success I think I'll usual. need more than that. I think I'll need a whole... Time I've drank what I'm going to drink, I think I'll need a whole bottle of Billy Bongo's <laughs> banjo pills. <laughs> but... <laughs> but if you've got any, <laughs> if you've got any suggestions uh, for um, for a, nice, a lovely smoothie that we could drink on our show, uh, we could give you feedback on it. If you if you do that, if you don't like our show, we don't have any suggestions about drinking our own shit or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, so uh, so talking about uh, health drinks and such, uh, I tell you what burns my toast black. Black. We've got. Uh, it's the I again I don't have any preference for I think it's just because it's 40p I don't want you to spend a lot of money on a bloody newspaper I'm not going to read the whole thing but apparently cover story supermarkets urged to tackle obesity by cutting cheap deals on unhealthy food it's not something I'm really up on because I just go to the supermarket and I just buy whatever I fancy I don't really look much at labels other than to find out if it's got milk product in it because I'm lacto-intolerant. I've been living in Cumley Bank that long. I've developed a middle-class disease. I think if I stay there much longer, I'll probably start shaving my legs and fucking weaving baskets. Uh, you heard I'll be, it here first. I'll, have a, I'll be having a wheat intolerance next, you know. There's just no excuse for it. There's a quote here that says, A survey found 29% of shoppers said they thought healthier food was more expensive, giving it as the main reason for not having a healthier diet. Do you think that's true? It is actually true. While um, confectionaries have actually gone down in price in real terms, specifically, and, you know, they're pretty bad for you. They're the things that destroy your quality of life, make you obese, make you more likely to come down with degenerative diseases. While actually the price of fruits and vegetables have increased in price faster than other products, and they're the basic building blocks of health. Okay. But, is this a free market phenomenon? Um, it doesn't sound like it to me. Take, um, a, take a guess. <laughs> well, it sounds like the government intervened at some point. It always happens that the government intervened at some point trying to do the right thing and just created a situation that it's now going to have to create more legislation to get itself out of. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I particularly despise being told what I should and shouldn't eat. Um, I'm a fucking adult for crying out loud. Uh, People's health is their own responsibility. Now I know you can make a case for obesity that one of the reasons it's so prevalent just now is that there's a lot more sugar added into stuff these days that just, you know, that's just got no business Mm -hmm. having sugar in it, you know, whether it's bread or whatever. Uh, And particularly unrefined sugar. I mean, I don't know it's unrefined, uh, sorry, so refined sugar. Um, I do actually eat uh, unrefined sugar. I don't know whether it's better for you, but I, I, I seem to enjoy it uh, more. 
So what what I'm trying to say here is, uh, should we pay any attention to, is the government right when it says we're eating the wrong things and even if we were, uh, should they be getting involved? The government is right, we are eating the wrong things, but the government's ultimately responsible for that fact. Such as you mentioned, many, many nations have subsidies on their sugar produce. Okay. Government handouts to sugar farmers, which is frankly ridiculous given that we know that sugar is bad for your health, but it's meant to protect domestic farmers against competition. Tobacco is also another plant that's subsidised even in the United States. Okay. Why is sugar subsidised then? Well, the thing is, it's very difficult to reverse a subsidy once it's been instituted. Originally, it would have been to protect, for example, American farmers against sugar growers in South America. And And Africa and Asia, I suppose, yeah. And this is a fallacy. It's a fallacy because protecting those sugar growers is at the expense of the purse of everyone else in that economy who has to pay for that subsidy through the tax system. But supposing you and I are the sugar farmers, right? Okay. We get, let's say, 300 million a year from the American government. That's only $1 per American person, so most people won't notice. But if the government tries to get rid of the subsidy, then that's $300 million worth of incentive per year for us to get together and stop the government from axing our subsidies. That's why these subsidies go on year after year and are very hard to remove. It's concentrated benefits and diffuse costs. It takes seven times as much grain to create the same weight of beef. So why isn't beef seven times as expensive as grains are? Well, it's partly because they feed the beef bad grain or But it's also partly because the vast majority of farming subsidies go to the meat and dairy industry. Every year in Europe, they have these symposiums about world health. And they say every year that people are eating far too much meat, particularly red meat, and that doctors should be recommending that people eat less meat. But they say it's It's not politic. We can't get doctors to recommend that people eat less meat. Now, why that's not politic, I don't know if it's because the doctors like eating meat or if it's because, again, they're attacking this massive agricultural lobby. But they concluded that 24 out of the 25 leading causes of death, vegans are at the lowest risk of contracting them and vegetarians are at a lower risk. And 12 of them, once contracted, can be treated with a plant-based diet. The only exception of the 25 leading causes of death being accidents. A plant-based diet isn't necessarily the same as a vegan diet because, you know, you can have all these fried chips and all sorts of bad food and still count yourself a vegan. A plant-based diet means mostly eating plants. (laughs) It's kind of the clues in the title. So... The government subsidies on meat have made this very available and we still get complaints from bleeding hearts saying, oh, it's so unfair, the supermarkets aren't paying dairy farmers as much as it costs them to make the milk. And a good thing too, because if the milk's so cheap, that means there's a massive oversupply. 
if the government steps in and starts making minim- mandatory minimum prices for supermarkets to buy milk from dairy farmers, there'll be masses and masses of milk produce that no one's consuming yeah. going to waste. I mean, already, I mean, famously, there was the butter mountains, you know, of the, of the EU. Yeah, and, and lakes of milk, you know, sort of going up. I mean, there's a, there's a massive percentage of the stuff that we produce in this sector that just literally goes down the drain. And I'm not talking about food wastage like you and I would buy maybe more milk or more uh, vegetables than we would need and it goes in the bin. I'm talking about right at fucking, you know, perfectly good milk, dairy products, perfectly good vegetables that could be eaten, literally getting thrown in uh, landfill because, you know, it's because of the subsidy situation. That's right. After the European Economic Community, which is now the EU, was created, they actually had a policy of buying everything that farmers produced and couldn't sell, which led to these mountains of excess grain and these wine lakes that you've talked about. Then those got sold off at knockdown rates yeah. to third world countries, causing gluts in the markets in third world countries, which put local farmers out of business and had a devastating effect on their local economies. So that set back the development of the poorest countries in the world significantly. Uh, apart from being a waste of taxpayers' money, it was a complete environmental disaster and hundreds of small farms went out of business as the big agro-business corporations that we've heard of scrambled to take advantage of the subsidy by growing as much as possible. And it actually changed the face of the countryside in this country. All these hedgerows were pulled up and uh, we lost wetlands and 95% of our flower-rich meadows, 60% of lowland heath, 50% of ancient lowland woods were destroyed. And this is like in 40 years. I would add the fact that we have a National Health Service means that people don't feel the immediacy of risk when they're making bad lifestyle choices. We spoke about healthcare. Yeah. 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 Well, look, I mean, people should educate themselves really on what is and what isn't healthy and what is good for them to make their own choices. But isn't part of the problem here? I know that I get fed up. You know, I've been told, you know, one minute something's bad for you, next minute, oh, uh, actually we got that wrong, it's not as bad as for you as we first thought, it's actually good for you, you know, uh, butter was bad for you, and I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe it's my conspiratorial mind, I think to myself, well, do they tell you butter's bad for you because they really want to start, are they in cahoots with companies that make, you know, margarine, you know, so that they can start selling that shit? That that's that's what I find, you know. I just, and then you know, drink a glass of wine's good for you a day, and then suddenly oh, a glass of wine's going to yeah. give you you're going to be riddled with cancer if you drink a bottle of wine. There's there's a lot of bad science. Well, no, there's no no such thing as bad science. You know, it's because science is just neutral if you do it properly. But we we they jump to a lot of uh, monumental conclusions on health based on a lot of half-assed data. Yeah, and I put that down to the fact that, as we discussed in our last programme, we don't have a healthcare service, we have a sick care service, where the only thing is remunerated is ill health. When you get an operation, someone's getting paid. When you buy medicine, someone's getting paid. Every time you're ill, someone's getting paid. In a sane system, every time you got ill, someone other than you would be losing money And whenever you were healthy, someone other than you would be gaining money. This would create the correct incentives 
for healthcare providers to get accurate, reliable data on what is good for an individual. They could assess you for your health needs based on the expert data, which they'd be incentivized to come up with based on the market incentives. They could give you a plan to follow, which is ideal for your health. The closer you stick to the plan, the cheaper your health premium would be. The more you did... The more you deviate from the plan, they'd increase your premium or say you'd have to pay for a percentage of your treatment yeah. if, should you get ill. Well, I mean, part of the thing that's driving this, I suppose, uh, because in the column next to it here, um, it says the financial burden to the NHS is staggering. And this is why the government is keen to start taxing things like sugar. Now, it's, it was wanting to put a tax on fizzy drinks because of the sugar content. Okay, question. Why are you going to put a tax on something you're already subsidising? How about stop the subsidy first? Wouldn't that wouldn't that be more sensible? Yeah, and the same thing goes to everything. Like when you're talking about your healthcare, the doctor should find out what you're doing wrong, and if you can stop eating badly, if you can start getting, taking more exercise or take up your yoga or whatever they know that you have to do to improve your health. Then, if that doesn't work, you can start talking about medicines and interventions and operations. It seems in the system we have now, the first solution to everything is a pill for every ill. And the solution, the first solution to every problem, according to the newspaper, is why doesn't more government? You know, why not more government? Here we have this next story about the energy industry. Oh, they want to put a cap on the amount of money that people charge for energy yeah well why is energy so expensive because it's one of the most regulated sectors of society when maggie thatcher supposedly privatized the energy industry she put those resources which were held in custody by the government in the hands of a few corporations and passed regulations to make it very hard for anyone to break their oligopoly Otherwise, they wouldn't have sold for much. Mm -hmm. Now, the consequence of that is there's a limited supply. Not many people are allowed to produce energy. It's litigious. That means that the price of energy is always going to be high and people go running to the government instead of saying, why don't you just let anyone who wants to have their generator or their energy solar panels and and things like that, provided it's not a, a risk to anyone's health. Well... Those vested interests in the energy companies wouldn't be very happy for that. So the everyone's led down the road of just saying, oh, the greedy energy companies, there should be caps, there should be this, there should be that, the, there should be the other. Why don't you just get government out the way and let the market work? Because when there's high prices, that means the demand outstrips supply and that is an attractor for other organisations to enter that sector to take advantage of high prices. Again, it just seems to be that they think that the government's the answer to everything. But what gets me with the energy thing, it baffles me. I get you know letters through the door from energy companies, especially the one I'm with, my energy supplier. And in the letter, it gives me all these tips on how to stop buying their product. Um, you know, turn your lights off uh, when you're not using them. I mean, I do. I generally do. Not because I'm, I'm, I'm environmentally conscious or anything like that. 
But, you know, I try to keep my bills down. You know, it's a monetary thing. So when I'm not, you know, if I, if I switch on my, my oven, I turn off my fridge. You know, there's all, all sorts of things I do. I switch everything off when I leave the house. I'm going for any length of time. I might even switch my fridge off if there's nothing in it worth keeping. You know, all these little things. But I don't understand why a supplier would be telling you how to use less of their product. I mean, you think these companies would have shareholders that would say, why are you telling people to use less of our product? You know, we want to make more money, not less. But the fact of the matter is, the less, it's, it's not as if, you know, we, when we use less of their product, all that's going to happen, I think, is they're going to hike the prices up accordingly so that they're not the loser. So eventually you're going to be sitting huddled in the friggin' dark, you know, round a candle wearing 10 jumpers in the dead of winter and paying £10 a unit for your electricity. Yeah, if you do make electricity, you're obliged to sell it to the national grid. Yeah, that's, 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 that is insane. What does that say? Well, that means that obviously the market price of energy is much higher. Yeah. That's why they need to oblige you to yeah. sell it to the national grid. Because if you sell it to someone else, you get more than that. Well, what's that discouraging people from doing? That's discouraging people from buying solar panels. Yeah. And maybe they're... I don't know, maybe they can generate enough wind. I don't know what, what stage the technology is But I mean, the at. last thing the government wants, though, is for anybody to be self-sufficient. That's right, because <laughs> if you, you could easily go in your earth ship and make all your own energy and harvest the rainwater yep. for your loos and your taps and have a compost toilet or whatever hippie stuff you're into, then you're incredibly hard to control. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons for the energy cartel. I think it's a deliberate move to make people less self-sufficient. I think that's why you're obliged to sell energy to national grid instead of at market prices, because it suggests that the market price would be much higher than the government will pay you. And that has set back green technology, probably. Again, People's only solution to everything is more government. Because what will the Greens say? They'll say more subsidies for sustainable energy, not realizing that that might actually set the field of sustainable energy back. Yeah. Because if you're not being subsidized, you have to make your product commercially viable. Yeah. You have to keep on pushing the technology forward and forward and forward until it does become commercially viable. As soon as the government comes in with a subsidy that makes that product viable that wouldn't be otherwise, yeah. you're removing the incentive to improve the product. Yeah, I mean, what what is the point, I ask you, of any energy source that costs more to produce than you get from it? You know, if it, if it costs you £2 to make a pound's mm. worth of electricity or energy, then that seems to me, you'd be as well just putting your money in the fireplace and using the money to, to actually to fuel your house. It's crazy, and I don't know why. I don't know why people always think the government is the solution to these problems. I think it's just the way we're, we're we're trained. You lose your imagination when you've got access to the use of force. When the only tool in the box is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, and people have forgotten how to think of solving problems. Instead, they think what law can be passed. 
because that's all you see in the newspaper. I mean, we went through the newspaper before starting this show, yeah. and practically every story, the bottom line was government should be doing more. Yeah. This is the state we've come to. People can't actually think outside of the box. But in reality, whoever invented the memory stick probably saved more trees than all the environmental activists put together. We need innovation. We need entrepreneurship. We need inventiveness. We need people to come at problems and look at them with good ideas, with voluntary ideas, and let the ideas compete with each other so that the best ideas come to the fore. In other words, we need a free market. Yeah, I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with that. I mean, just briefly on the end of that, it's slightly uh, linked to an energy. Um, do you think the government's right to put this new nuclear power station on ice for the moment? I don't know they're doing a, they're doing more. I don't know they're having a, a second look at it. I don't know what the delay is for. Nobody's actually said what the delay is for. But um, I mean, your thoughts on nuclear power are pretty much we should. It's 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 not it's not viable. I don't think that nuclear power would be viable in a free market because if there's an accident, the cost of repairing the damage would be so great that no one would be able to underwrite the insurance. Whereas in our society, the government's basically the insurer. The government promises to clean up any mess. So basically that means the taxpayers underwrite The guarantor, yeah. yeah. And getting rid of their shit as well. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And as we saw not that long ago in Japan, I just don't want to see more of those accidents. If someone can come out with data and prove to me that it's completely safe, I'll say, okay, well, fair enough. But if we are producing chemicals that have a half-life of thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, aren't our descendants going to fucking hate us for leaving them with this shit? That yeah. they have to store safely and definitely. Uh, as Groucho Marx has immortalised, what have the future generations ever done for me? <laughs> I could be wrong. You know, maybe it's a lot better now. Maybe it's safer now. Maybe there's less waste now. But my intuition, I'm, I'm not a big fan of nuclear energy. And what everybody seems to forget. I mean, I'm, I'm not. My, my, my jury's out on it. I really don't know. I know we can't. We really can't be relying on on Russia. For our, for our energy needs, so I know it's tenuous, but um, as far as I'm concerned, what people forget is it still needs fossil fuels to yeah, work, to, to, right. to to make the reactor work, yeah. to fuel the reactor. So it's not a completely clean form of energy, even if you take the, the the waste out of the way. So are we done with energy? We are. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, we have the the good news. <laughs> that uh, new armed police officers are to deploy in British cities. And uh, there's a picture here of counter-terrorism officers taking part in an exercise in the River Thames yesterday. Scotland Yard announced the first of 600 extra armed officers. Good idea, bad idea? Well, we're just after being told by the media how bad guns are. Yeah. After all these shootings, what's your take? Well, it, it seems odd to me. I mean, I'm not against guns but it seems odd to me that when people on the left uh, not necessarily on the left there are some people on the right as well who say it's a quite simple equation less guns less gun deaths so surely that equation must work out the same when it comes to armed police officers now not only in America 
Well, in America, for a start, we all know that recently you've got more chance in America of being shot by an armed policeman than you are by an armed citizen, especially if you're black. Here in the UK, you've probably also got a similar chance of being, you know, of having been more chance of being shot by an armed policeman than you are with a, with a private citizen. Now, if you put 600 armed officers extra out there, then isn't that at least 600 more chances of somebody being shot to death by mistake because you're carrying an umbrella, uh, you know, by police officers? I mean, it's I'm not against armed police per se if there's a necessity. I really don't know what armed police can do against a suicide bomb attack. I actually, this concerns me um, okay. because of the timing of it. It's... I'm just wondering if there's people up there who are very concerned that the economy is going to collapse. Yeah. Or at least they know that the current level of government spending is unsustainable. Yeah. And And you think that they are anticipating a high level of social unrest? I'm concerned that the worry is the government is going to have to make some large-scale cuts at some point and that they're introducing these armed police officers because they think what's going to happen is everyone on welfare and all the civil servants are actually going to riot. Civil servants rioting? That's like, <laughs> what would that look like? I, mean, it's, I find it guys in bowler hats and brawlies kind of, I don't know, it's, it's conjured up a really weird image for me there. But, so yeah, they're, they're anticipating civil unrest. It's a part of it that, that seems to be, a, this doesn't seem to be just a UK thing, it seems to be European and American mm. as well. The militarisation of the police force. There's a guy called Radley Balco. He's, he's quite libertarian. He writes, so he used to write for the Huffington Post until he, I don't know why he did, but he did and then sort of parted ways with them, probably because of a shower of you know, liberal twats. But he now uh, writes for the Washington Post and he's got his own blog, uh, Radley Balco's blog, and he talks a lot about the militarisation of the police force. I've heard veterans, Iraq and uh, Afghanistan veterans, talking and saying, you know, I look at the police in in the streets of America, and other than the fact that their uniforms are black or blue and not camouflaged, they could be exactly the same as, as, as the troops that are, that are covering the, you know, the streets in Afghanistan and Iraq. Ostensibly, this is about terrorism. Ostensibly. But it seems to me that governments are becoming increasingly afraid of their own citizens and of their own people. You can't stop... No matter... If you, if you doubled the size of the police force and you doubled the existing amount of armed police officers in the UK, you're still not going to prevent a terrorist atrocity where someone is prepared to lose their life in order to do it. You can't prevent a bomb. One, you know, a decent sniper can bring an entire city, I'm saying decent in the sense that, you know, a, a good shot, a really good shot, will bring an entire city to a freeze. And no matter how many armoured cars you've got, you know, and, and sort of militarised police, you can't really prevent that. So it seems to me that definitely the thinking behind the militarisation of the police force is an anticipation of civil unrest and governments are afraid of their own population and are afraid of their own people. I think they know they've fucked it. I think they know that they've fucked the economy and they know the ship's sinking. But they're just trying to hang on for as long as they can before telling us. If they tell us at all, they might just let it happen. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, it 
would be nice if we could start with like stupid things that anyone with a brain cell could figure out, which is that it's a complete waste of money to lock people up for smoking plants or for taking substances. I mean, I don't know how much we spend on the war on drugs in the UK, but a quick Google check will reveal that putting someone in prison for four years can you can be looking at a hundred thousand pounds there. I mean, you yeah. might as well just give them a car and a house. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Why why lock them up for that kind of money? Then there's all the corporate welfare. Okay, it might be quite hard to chop the civil service. What you can do is you can just agree not to take anyone new on when people retire. And bit by bit, when I say civil service, I mean just the entire public sector. Okay, yeah. You just stop replacing people when they retire. I mean, we might need a lot more than that, but there's definitely places where we can start where we're uncontroversially throwing money down a black hole. I mean, the amount of money we've wasted in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria and Libya with very little to show for it. It's really quite depressing when you look at how much money the government's just quite simply throwing away. So we need to find new solutions Okay, and one of the solutions wouldn't be putting extra armed police on the streets. Thanks for bringing me back on topic. <laughs> it's got to be done. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like a very good idea to me. Uh, I don't know. I'm not privy to, the, to the, the shit and the security briefings, but I don't see how that is going to prevent, really prevent... I think there's enough. I think we've got enough police, enough security services, enough military... I mean, if you're going to militarise the police to that level, where the police actually look like commandos, I think you'd be as well admitting that you've lost the plot and just putting the army on the streets. Martial law. <laughs> Almost, you know. At least it would be a bit more honest. But yeah, I mean, the, the Met, for example, already has about 2,200 armed response officers. Okay, London's a big city. But are they really expecting that level of terrorist attack? There's nothing you can do against a bomb. You know, somebody planting a bomb somewhere inconspicuous, all the armed police in the world are not going to stop that. So, Life is inherently risky. Getting out of bed in the morning is inherently risky. Is You're right. probably more likely to die in a car crash, though. Indeed. Uh, but especially if you drive a car. Um, so, anyway, moving on from, uh, from spending money stupidly on energy caps... Students, what they basically said is there's not enough poor people going to university. That, that's the gist of it. Fewer hard-up students are going to university. The percentage of students eligible for free school meals at state school who went on to higher education has fallen for the first time since current records began, official figures show. Only 22% of 19-year-olds who had been able to claim free lunches when they were 15 were in higher education. That's we, a really silly way to Oh, I, th- I thought so myself, you know. But who really... Okay, first of all, these students that aren't going to university, is it they're not going to university because they can't afford to or they're afraid of getting a student loan? Or is it because... How many of them actually end up with better jobs? You know, how many of them actually end up becoming entrepreneurs and having their own business? You might outperform a university student with a job in plumbing or carpentry, or yeah. being an electrician, or another trade. You, those are trades that you could get a lot of money in. What is our obsession with university? 
It's, is it ostensibly it's about equality and ostensibly it's about giving every you know no child left behind you know that kind of bollocks. But as far as I'm concerned, how many people do we want to get to university? Fifty percent. I think it's something like that now already, isn't it? Yeah. What's no? That's up who's for about ten percent in the seventies. So that's pretty some pretty tasty equality for yeah. you. But then, who's going to in, in your highly developed and highly equal educational utopia? Who's going to clean the toilets? Well, we're going to have robots for that, haven't you seen? Who's going to wipe arses? <laughs> You're going to get a robot that can wipe an arse. I mean, it's, it's, is it going to be like Israel? You know, every motherfucker's a doctor and nobody wants to do the dishes. Right. <laughs> well, look, the thing is... And yeah. even half of, half of these courses that most people are on at uni are Mickey Mouse. You know, the, all the humanities. Right. So <laughs> didn't you I, do, didn't I, you I, do I did, the humanities? I did, I did a humanities degree. Okay. <laughs> and I loved it, but I'm going to be completely up front here. I was a mature student, 22, 23, not that mature, but definitely a few years on... My fellow students. Maybe mature enough to for, to impress the girls. Mature enough to have a little bit more experience with ladies than eighteen <laughs> year olds. So, but okay. the, but the less said, the better. So, I have to say, and I'm sorry, politically correct people, but a massive percentage of people at university should not have been there. The percentage of people who really engaged with their coursework and were passionate about learning were few. You could almost count on a mature student being interested in learning for learning's sake and wanting to get as much out of the course as possible as you could on a regular age student not being that interested in the course but just being there because it's kind of like one of these things you're meant to do. Now I admit I was in the humanities That might not be the same in the sciences. It might not be the same in other departments. But the time of going to university, which I've heard romanticised by people older than myself, and of getting great intellectual company, you know, the, the company of your peers, having a drink and a cigarette while discussing the relative merits of Freud and Jung. and yeah, There exactly. were people like that there were highly motivated intellectual people like that they were the vast minority and if that's the environment you want to create if you want to create the environment where the best minds are in the company of the best minds and you want to make the humanities of value you really have to start limiting the number of people you let into those humanities courses to people who are extraordinarily passionate about it. And I'm sorry to say it, lefties, but one of the ways that you do that is tuition fees. And if there's brilliant people who can't afford those tuition fees, they can apply for scholarships or the university will want to have them because it will make the university look good to have brilliant students from a working class background coming out the other end. Isn't what's behind this as well an educational industrial complex or an academic no industrial question. complex? Yeah, because if you do one of these shite degrees, what are you going to get if you don't get a job as an academic? Well, you could always do your own YouTube stuff, I suppose. <laughs> Everybody forgets about that. You know, People talk about the military industrial complex and that's a given. But nobody talks about these other interest groups like the academic industrial company where lecturers are being highly paid 
and they're, they're an interest group. You know, they, they, they want to keep their job highly paid they're and o- exclusive. They're overwhelmingly left wing. Yeah. And I had one of my greatest teachers, uh, a philosophy lecturer at the university leave while I was there. And he went to the pub with us and he was telling us when he first got a job, they used to interview new lecturers to find out if they were going to make good teachers. Right. They were actually interested in the personality. Now, no, it's just all about research. The money's coming in from research. So really, on a free market, you if that's where your cash is, you probably have a different staff for teaching than from research. I don't know what that's all about. There were so many poor lecturers. There were so many poor lecturers, and some of them were excellent. I had yeah. a few excellent. I even had lefty lecturers who were just really great people who were intellectually curious, stimulated debates in the class. passionate about what they were doing. Exactly. But the problem is, they would have loved everyone in the class to be participating in discussion. And you still had the same thing, where it was only a small percentage of the class who would actually pipe up, a small percentage of the class who were really, really interested. So the other thing about getting people through university and making it a value is... People who think that it should all be socialised and free don't realise that if a skill is useful, someone who has that skill will get paid more to have that skill. Therefore, someone will pay them to train in that skill. Because yeah. I can make more money as a capitalist from someone whose labour is worth $100 an hour yeah. as opposed to someone whose labour is worth $10 an hour. Sorry for using American money. So it's in my interests to train someone with potential to have those skills. On a free market, if it's a useful skill, someone will either pay you to develop it or the increase in your wage will be high enough to justify you paying to spend that or you taking out a loan to spend that. If it's not valuable enough to other people, it's a hobby and it's wrong to force people at gunpoint to pay for you to pursue your hobbies. Yeah. How many people would you estimate when they leave university either end up in a job that they could have got anyway without going to university or actually end up in a job where they utilise anything that they learned at university whatsoever? University is redundant because in five or ten years, all of the best universities are going to be online universities. You'll get a lecture series from rock star lecturers. You'll be able to participate in online seminars with students all over the world, learn from each other, learn from their experiences, have peer-on-peer mentorship. They're going to come up with stuff that's better than a university could ever come up with. It's only a matter of time. So all this complaining about student fees is is a relic. Okay. That's my So free market to the rescue again. Free market to the rescue. Okay. Well, on that note, thanks for listening in again, folks. And... Be libertarians. Yes, don't be a lefty. Alrighty.